RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. The distance from Brisbane, where the management of health services are centred, to the rest of Queensland can be challenging in terms of providing high-quality universal medical care. Recently named chair of the RAC's Queensland State Committee, paediatric surgeon and adjunct professor Deborah Bailey has her eyes set on improving quality surgical and patient care across rural and regional Queensland. Accepting the nomination wasn't automatic, but Deborah Bailey explains why, after some deliberation, she thought it was well worth the challenge. She's talking with Nicole Goodman. I felt privileged to get that honour, but I also felt it wasn't practical. And that's due to that old thing about the tyranny of distance. So I actually live 90 kilometres away and work in the Gold Coast, which is about an hour and a half's drive from Gold Coast to Brisbane. And everything is in Brisbane, the college offices, the government, the health department. So that means I have to spend all that time driving backwards and forwards. So that's the reason there haven't been that many chairs outside of the capitals. But on the other hand, that was one of the reasons I decided to accept it in the end is because my initial thought is not practical. But one of my enduring interests is providing good surgical care in regional areas. And 40% of the population in Queensland and 40% of the surgeons live outside of Brisbane. And Queensland's the most spread out of all the states as far as its regional centres. So it takes as long to fly from Townsville to Brisbane as it takes to fly from Brisbane to Melbourne, and Townsville's only halfway up the coast. So you can see that this is a challenge for us, and I decided to accept the challenge of trying to bring us into the modern century with technology being able to link us so that we don't have to actually travel to Brisbane to have a meeting with the health minister. So that's why I decided to take on the challenge. But that is also one of the big issues for us as a Queensland State Committee, how to make distance disappear in presenting ourselves and our goals to our surgeons and our communities. So what are the key concerns you think are important to address in Queensland health and surgery in particular? This is always a funny question because you go, how do you take all these issues for our college that we face today and we face into the future and make dot points out of them? Because they're all connected. So I take it from our college, key thing is to be the advocate for the highest standards of education and professionalism in surgery. And how do we operationalise that actually is the underlying issue. How do we take that advocacy to the coalface? What do surgeons need to survive, to support their efforts to deliver high-quality surgical care in every hospital, in every community? And how do we make the college, the RSES, meaningful in all areas of surgical standards and professional strategy and building that strong communication between that coalface and the people who deliver it, and the government, and the hospitals. And so when you look at it from that point of view, it goes back to the previous point, that is, unless we have good two-way communication between the surgeons who are delivering the care and the structures and the office bearers of the college and the government, then the whole point of being advocates for professionalism and standards of care doesn't work. 
And the other part of that underlying issue is how we train our surgeons and give our fellows experience to deliver acute surgical care in general skills and how do we support regional surgeons. Uh, Very close to our heart in Queensland because of the nature of the way the state works. And I suppose the other thing is how do we make the health dollar sustainable into the future because all surgeons want the best for their patients they're always asking for more money but in the end there's not more money because there's only so much money that we're all earning and paying towards health and towards tax so we have to be at the forefront of making the right decisions about spending that money so you can see when I say how do you take what is a very big thing how do we make surgery sustainable and effective and deliver it to where it needs to be, how do you take that and divide that up into key issues? They're all related. And on that point, how does the recent federal election result, which has kept the coalition in government, impact on these concerns and health funding nationally? I suppose it it gives us some certainty. There is a lot of thought and angst and confusion leading up to any change in government, but particularly recently because it sounded like we were going to get a a really deep-seated change by going to a different philosophy. It's one of the things I've struggled about because I've been a director of uh, surgical services for some time, is that we as clinicians have a long-term picture about what's best for families, the patients, for the communities, but politicians have a short-term goal of just getting elected and they often won't make hard decisions that will take 10 years to come to fruition because that doesn't make good newsprint the next day. So the fact that you have one politician in or another is probably not so important as having some continuity in decision-making, and I think that's the best thing that's come out of this is that we can stop thinking about what's going to happen when things change and just get on with the work. How do we keep healthcare sustainable into the future? I think a lot of people, when they think about sustainable, are thinking environmental concerns, and they're very important. I think that the resources we have on the planet are finite and we have to be good custodians. But when you talk about health spending, what we're talking about is that the public health system is supported by our tax dollar, and that's supported by people working and contributing. On the other hand, the private health sector is equally supported by a strong public sector, but decisions that are made in the private sector about investigations, procedures, diagnostic tests add to the cost of private health care. And private health care, if it becomes unaffordable for the average person, will overload the public system. So we need to make sure that whether it's in private or public that we're making decisions around interventions, about care, about diagnostics that are evidence-based, that are ethical and that are wise in order to make sure that the money that every person spends on healthcare is sustainable into the future. Well, you're the first female chair of the RACS Queensland State Committee. Obviously, a significant milestone for the committee. How do you think this promotes diversity in the surgical profession? I talked about one of the reasons for taking on the nomination of Chair of the State Committee. And the second one is that when I became a Fellow of the College of Surgeons, it was at a time when I had been the only female surgical trainee north of the Brisbane River. 
but I actually never felt like I was a trailblazer. I've always felt that competence, hard work, professionalism and integrity are the only factors to take into account to become a surgeon. And I haven't actually really identified as a woman surgeon throughout my career. I identified just as a paediatric surgeon. But as our college has become the leader in owning the past and becoming both truly diverse and professional in its culture and its behaviour, I realise that there are fellows and trainees who have had adverse experiences and are concerned about our college's commitment to diversity and professionalism and professional behaviour. So I decided that I was in a position to be a voice and also to be an indicator that our college is true in its purpose to build our culture, our professionalism and our diversity going into the future. So why did you become a surgeon and a paediatric surgeon in particular? I get asked this question and I find it hard to articulate a passion and also the general feeling that my choice fits. In medical school, I thought everything was interesting. I could have done anything, I thought. And then in my intern year, I did something called professorial medicine. And that's medicine, not surgery. And I actually liked the puzzle solving and detective work of making a complex diagnosis. And then I got a term of surgery. And I knew that's what I wanted. It fit me, it fitted my fine motor skills, and it fitted my mind. And I had a couple of mentors at the time, and they made it quite clear to me that it wasn't going to be an easy life choice. So I went in with my eyes open. And I think it fits with a saying that there's a saying amongst doctors that you can't define a surgical mind, but you recognise it when you see it. And so I recognised it in myself. I've got the surgical mind. So I can't articulate that passion, but that's what fitted for me. And as I went through surgery and the different types of surgery, I really, I suppose, enjoyed fine work. And then I, again, I did a term of paediatric surgery, which was looking after children and their families. And I can't imagine anything more rewarding. And that's why I picked it. Along your training and surgical journey, how important was mentorship for you and where does mentoring sit today with the College of Surgeons and and what place does it hold? I recently went to a very inspiring talk by Julie Mundy, who's the treasurer of the college. And in fact, we went to medical school together, Julie and I, except she was south of the river when she was an intern and I was north of the river. And uh, we worked out that There are different types of mentors. There are people who have a very formal relationship with you, but there's the person who says to you, when you've done a good job, you did a good job, and gives you that extra boost to know that this is something I want to do and the effort is worthwhile. And sometimes it's somebody that you can just go and ask a hairy question when it comes to a career choice, or sometimes it's just a role model, someone who acts in the way that you want to be and you model yourself on that. And so when I look back on the people who I would say are mentors, they performed the role in a period of my life which was crucial when I was making some decisions about what I would do as far as answering my questions with honesty and or actually living that life or that career choice or that difficult question of being ethical and they were living it and showing me how to do it and therefore they became not only my mentors but my role models. Now 
what are some of the issues around professionalism that surgeons face with a focus on Queensland and how is RACS providing support in this area? Over my career, I've made some choices about what I would get involved in and most of it's been led by my observing that patients are safest and do the best when their surgeons act with professionalism. So technical skills are important, but unless the surgeon can communicate with the family and the patient about what their expectations are, what their outcomes are, what choices they have, and then also communicate those goals and ideas around the care of the patient to their whole team, then the patient doesn't do well, no matter how technically expert they are. So that led me into teaching and education, surgical training, and even into becoming a director of surgery. I am also involved in the Operating With Respect face-to-face course as an instructor. And what struck me recently is that we've had some adverse publicity in Queensland about certain surgeons. And whether or not the facts are true is not up to me to decide. That's up to the jurisdictions and the medical legal councils that are involved. But the adverse publicity is there and it causes angst so that when I see surgeons from Queensland, they want to know what our college is doing about it because they say, you said that you were building respect and why aren't you doing something about this surgeon who's being bringing disrepute onto our name and perhaps behaving badly to other surgeons or other clinicians within the hospital. And what I can say to them is that the fact that a room full of people in Queensland, surgeons are asking me, what are we doing about this, would not have happened 10 or 15 years ago. It's only since we've had the BRIPS campaign, that's the Building Respect and Improving Patient Safety campaign in the College of Surgeons, that we're articulating our desire to have the highest standards in professionalism across the board, not just technical skills. And that is a wonderful sea change. And I believe that the steps to investigate or deal with non-professional behaviour are not actually formed yet because that takes a long time and it's very complex and it's very legal and all sorts of things, but the college has the best will to make it happen and we're having conversations that we would never have had when I first started surgical training and that's great. So I believe you have the Queensland Scientific Meeting coming up. Can you tell us a bit about that? So the Queensland Scientific Meeting is a meeting that we hold to bring all the surgeons, fellows, trainees, medical students, everybody involved in the great surgical community together. In Queensland we do it every two years and we rotate it obviously around Queensland. The last one was very successful up in um, Douglas Beach near Cairns and this year we're having it at the Gold Coast. The theme of our meeting has always been designed to appeal to the whole spectrum of surgery and this year it's called the seven ages of a surgeon. So we start by talking about medical school and how medical students 
via to get into surgical training. We'll have a long session, two sessions in fact, on flexible training options and people will be giving us the lived experiences of different models of flexible training. We'll have some discussions on what flexible workforce looks like and we'll be leading to almost the great debate, I suppose, on Sunday where we'll be talking about who is responsible for lapses in professionalism and we'll have representatives of the medical legal community, our college, and jurisdictions to talk about their different viewpoints. Last time we had our meeting near Cairns at Port Douglas, we combined with the section of surgical directors and we're doing that again. And so they also have very good sessions on quality databases and ways of improving surgical care through the public hospital's health system. The Friday before, we've always done this in Queensland, and I'm a little bit proud of it, is that Queensland Health will be having a forum with the surgeons in which the government meets with surgeons and periop nurses and anaesthetists to discuss strategies for improving surgical care in Queensland for the next year or and sometimes for the next decade. So we're hoping that a lot of people will come because it's going to appeal across the whole seven ages of surgery. Professor Deborah Bailey, paediatric surgeon and chair of the RACS Queensland State Committee. And the Queensland Scientific Meeting is being held from Friday the 12th to Sunday the 14th of July. Details can be found in this episode's show description. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.